Hello, listeners. It's Rachel. Hi, it's Ari. And now that Legends has mercifully been over for forever, and I've been free, it's time for us to start our fun summer series, which is going to include retrospectives on shows that we've watched, uh, lists, like listicle-style podcasts where we go over top episodes overall, or top episodes of a series that we like, and today, a movie review. Because we both saw Wonder Woman, and it was amazing! Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It's kind of one of those things where I'm like, oh, is this why men like superhero movies so much? Holy shit. I could, like, I left the theater, like, all right, every single one of you just get out. I'm gonna fight every single man on this street I can fucking find. I'm gonna suplex you into that car. It was, I felt like, I don't, I hate that we've kind of made the term feeling empowered like a super cheesy, trite thing to say because there is something so fucking cathartic about this movie and sitting there and being like, this is good. Not only just because we both, I think, watch more bad things and bad media than anyone really should, yeah. but it it was so good that this movie is not just, oh, thank God we finally have a female-led superhero movie, mm-hmm. but just oh my god, this was a really good movie. Yeah, there's a lot we're going to discuss about things that um, try to be more women, woman power friendly and where they fall short and how they fail at that. We're going to discuss how Wonder Woman didn't do that. Um, I just also want to say that, you know, I felt especially watching the Amazons as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't even just watching Wonder Woman's fight specifically, though that was pretty great. Uh-huh. It was also watching the Amazons work as a unit. Oh, God, that was so good. Where I was like, holy fuck. That was so good. This is great. Um, That scene on the beach, you mean? Yeah. That was so, like, it was just such well-coordinated combat. Because for a second, Steve Trevor goes to Diana in the film. The Germans arrive on the shore of the Mascara, and they have guns. And given that it's World War I... They're still not I mean, it was the the first machine gun, but It was the first machine gun, but... But it's still a machine gun. I immediately thought, oh, are they going to do the thing where they're no match for these modern guns? And they were. They were completely equally matched. Because they had combat experience. And that was so good. It was so good. Because there have been certain... And this is something that's happened in the comics before, where they've been very inconsistent on how technologically advanced the Amazons are. So it was really nice to see them not be like, oh no, outmatched by modern technology and just have them be so competent and capable that it doesn't really matter if they have arrows and the other guy has a gun because they are just going to put their foot through your face. And I can respect that. Um, I think what I really liked, and this was like from the opening, Mm -hmm. is you see Diana running through the square and... It was just the, it's a weird thing to notice, but the background shots and the crowd shots in this movie, every single one of them is so, it reminded me of rewatching as an adult, um, Justice League Unlimited and Justice League when Dwayne McDuffie was working on them and you would see all these black men and black women and black kids just hanging out in the background like they were a part of it and there was no, you know, nothing really drew attention to it. They were just there and there was something very natural about how there were a decent amount of black Amazons and just how many... You would look and you would think, oh my god, this is a scene of all women. And even there's a scene where like Diana goes to like look uh, at the god killer and you see the guards for a second like, wait... Are those, because you, like, expect, like, the guards at the door, like, there's this reflexive, before you remember this is uh, Paradise Island, that I was like, oh my god, those are female guards. 
that's metal. And, like, it shouldn't be, like, such a shock. But there was, like, that a moment where I was like, oh, holy shit. I mean, as people who are, you know, like, not black, we can't make this statement for everyone. No. And we can't say, you know, that but complaints it's... that have been leveled against this movie by black women are not valid. We're not saying that at all. Yeah. But I think Ari is completely right in saying that it is very much like what Dwayne McDuffie would do in the early 2000s for Justice League. Mm -hmm. And that is just something that should be noted. And that even in crowd scenes, when you see the British Army, Mm -hmm. later you see um, Indian soldiers and African soldiers in the British Army. Which is really nice. Which is historically accurate. There is something to be said about not having, of course, not having characters of color in the lead role, like not having her aunt be black or not having, you know, Steve be non-white. There is something definitely to be said for that. But I will say that, you know, at least they didn't do the, oh, it's the past, so it's all white Listen, the standards, and I understand that this does not mean that the film could not do better. Yes. But the standards are so so low for big budget Hollywood films Mm -hmm. that nobody batted an eye at an all white 1920s Harlem in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Like, I'm fucking sorry, but if there's any place in the whole world that you're going to film and there should not be more than maybe two white people in that movie, it probably should be a movie set in 1920s Harlem. Just a thought. So, Wonder Woman, absolutely better than Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Not hard, but still. Just wanted to, just want to get that out there. Now, here is my favorite thing about Wonder Woman, at the movie as a whole. Mm-hmm. And this is something, Agent Carter is one of those things that I enjoy sort of for the pulp of it. I liked the first season. The first season was very, was good. And I'm someone who is very fond of good costume work. And the costumes and the you know, costuming in Agent Carter is so good. It's so pretty. But moving aside from that, one of the most frustrating things about Agent Carter and that a show that is trying to bill itself is something that is very feminist and very pro-woman is that she is constantly getting beat down. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever believes in her. Nobody respects her. She has to earn it. And quite frankly, yeah, sure, that's realistic. That's still happening. That's, you don't but, have to say, oh, the 40s were bad, and she had to, that's still happening. It's more powerful when they do what they did in Wonder Woman, which is Diana enters a room, and everybody respects her. And even when they don't, like, there is a scene, I think the closest they come to a scene where Diana not necessarily has to defend herself, but there's this scene where she walks right into Parliament, like some Parliament meeting or whatever, yes. where every man in the room just stops, and they don't go... They do. They are a little shocked, but they're not like, oh, what's a woman doing? And there's none of that overblown, over-the-top, self-conscious, men were sexist back then sort of stuff. They just literally are so taken aback. Like, they would not have been more shocked, you get the feeling, if someone, if a man had walked in and thrown a pie in their face. They are about as shocked as when Diana walks in the room. Like, she owns the place. And she thinks she does. And she has every right to, because as we see briefly um, on Themyscira... She is allowed to sit with the senators and her mother as the princess and be a part of these political goings on. So she's like, well, why why aren't I allowed to be a part of this? This is my right as a princess of Themyscira. And it's so it, good. Yeah, it says to it says to the women watching this movie, not that, oh, you know, you're always going to be beat down. You're always going to have to prove yourself. Mm-hmm. It says walk into that room with your head held high because you belong here and you deserve to be here. 
not just that, but it also puts the framing. Sometimes I think a lot of the self-aware sexism was bad back then, but we're better now. The way it's framed, it can come off as men apologizing to other men. And it's almost like this reframing of we were bad, but we're better now. And they're like apologizing to women mm-hmm. and they're trying to show that like, but there's none of that here. Yes. The focus of these men's reactions and the aftermath of it is all about Diana. It is one of the very few films where the male gaze is really not present for a large portion of the film. It is all about what this means to Diana, what this reaction these people are having means for Diana. There's none of that self-aware, apologetic, Mm -hmm. but things are better now. So it allows the viewer to reframe the moment and think, how stupid are these guys? And how weird, poor Diana, she must be so confused. And like, it makes it feel more natural and it Mm -hmm. allows you to question the situation without any of this like self, like this back padding, like, oh, we're so much better now. Don't worry. You don't have to worry about the consequences of the scene and what that might mean and how we might parallel that to modern days. You might have a woman who watched that scene and went, oh yeah, last time I went to a meeting for work, somebody asked if I could get them coffee. God, I know how she feels right now. Like that's good. It allows a woman to more easily put herself in Diana's place without any of that kind of, self-aware stuff that puts a barrier between her experience of the situation and the viewer's experience of the situation. And it's very much, you know, when we do get a male perspective, it's Steve Trevor's. Mm -hmm. And the great thing they did here is they did not have Steve say, I'm sorry on behalf of all men and have her forgive him or anything like that. Mm -hmm. He is always incredibly honest, not just about, you know, men specifically, but about humanity. And the way we see humanity is through the men that are fighting in World War One, And I think that's a very clever way to do that. Mm-hmm. Because it gives us sort of a perspective of people at their most extreme. And the movie does not apologize for that. The movie is very honest about who people are in the trenches of war. And what people are willing to sacrifice for victory and what victory means. And they do it all in a really great way. Diana has some questions and she's somewhat naive, but they do not do born sexy yesterday. That was, yeah. Which is so, so good. You know, she understands what battle is. She knows what fighting is. What shocks her is that people fight without honor or without regard for the lives of the people that, are in the front lines. There's a big difference between I can fight and I know how to use a bow and an arrow and I have seen more. Like when we when we see Diane at the start of the movie, this is someone who is a well-trained born soldier, fuck god killer, mm-hmm. but she has never actually seen war. And yes, that is very important to point out that like there is none of that oh, I don't know what a man is. Oh, what's that between your legs? That's so weird. Da, 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 da. Like, none of that really happens. We will get to the, the general discussion that comes up in the film in a minute because I do want to talk about that. But there's none of this, like, weirdly chaste, naive idea that, like, the Amazons didn't know what sex was or weren't having sex on the island and no one really ever comes out in the film and says they were definitely women having sex with other women. But there is an understanding that sexual pleasure was something that Diana understood and consequently that the rest of the Amazons must have understood. It was actually a good thing for me to see that they knew what men were because it's not that 
they had to engage with them, but through having an understanding of them, it doesn't make them come off as, like, male gazy. And, and sometimes I think that whole yeah. thing about the Amazons not knowing what men are in certain adaptations of the Amazon myth, not in Wonder Woman, but just in other kinds of, like, other things have touched yeah. on this. One Piece actually has an island full of Amazons, and they do pull that, like, oh, we don't know what a man is. We've never seen a man before in our lives. They and that's when it's framed thing, as a sexual thing. They do the thing that... Monty Python and the Holy Grail does as a joke specifically uh-huh. when he shows up at the convent. Uh-huh. Sometimes people will do that with the island of the Amazons because men have this fantasy of being the one man that arrives on an island of sexy ladies. Uh-huh. And it was nice to have that just kind of be shut down very quietly but very mm. firmly by the yes. film. It was so good. All right. Do you want to talk about the genitals? Okay. Um... I have said before in this podcast at some point, I'm sure, I am non-binary and there is admittedly like my, you know, I do admittedly still feel a very deep sense of kinship with this film because I was socialized as female and a lot of times through no fault of my own, I end up being coded and read as female by other people and we could get into how that works on like a societal level and I could throw some Althusser stuff at you, but I won't because this is a Wonder Woman film review and I don't have the time for that. And... It is something I've noticed that comes up every so often when characters in films talk about their genitals because of the need for not using the actual term for the organ in question. You can very easily code certain things as trans without maybe meaning to, but the entire scene with Steve and Diana could absolutely just be read as him not really knowing how to tell this woman that he is a trans man because every single bit of it is very like, oh, I don't feel like having this discussion with you about my genitals. Oh, Jesus. And Diana is not like, oh, what's that? Like she doesn't, since she doesn't say the word penis, her confusion over like Steve's junk that she sees at one point could absolutely be interpreted as, wait, you also have a vagina? And Steve like, actually, it's not a vagina sort. It's weird. Like that is not perfect and it's not really what I would say is oh great trans representation or anything obviously but I think that it's very interesting to me that discussions like this that don't just come up in Wonder Woman come up in a lot of other places I don't really want it I don't really have the time to list them all but it can lead to some really broad interpretations of trans headcanons and trans coding um, I wish we could kind of go a little farther than that, but I think it's very funny that this kind of, like, forced, like, genital talk that comes up as, like, the subject of comedy is just, it's very easy for you to say, no, I'm, I'm not having any of that. I'm making this trans now. Happy Pride Month, everybody. Happy Pride Month. It's all trans. All of it. Um, okay. So... You know, it's really funny doing this podcast because we're really just praising excellent things it did. And I'm sure if you've accidentally listened to one of our other podcasts by accident, you know that it's really, you know, mostly just complaining things they did wrong, slander against Mark Guggenheim, allegedly, (laughs) and fisting jokes. Yeah, like we're we're not used to having high praise for a movie because all I can say is, Here's some stuff I liked, but for the sake of, like, this is a review, and reviews should have some criticism of them, even in films you like, um, the criticism I think I have of this is I went into this film bracing myself with deep concern because there have been some interpretations of Wonder Woman's origin stories over the years that have been bad, actually, 
Um, there have been certain times where they've tried to be like, uh, Diana is actually the love, love child, quote unquote, and I say that with the most contempt I can muster, of a love affair between Zeus, or in some other cases, she was raped by either Zeus or Ares, and that's like Diana's the product of rat, that both of those things are bad, not just because they are bad, because they are on their face, but one of the best things about Diana's origin story is that she is sculpted from clay, and Hippolyta asks, not Zeus, and that's where I'm going to get to what I don't like. She asks the female goddesses of the Greek pantheon to bless this statue and make it a real, living, breathing child. She asks six goddesses from the Greek pantheon to bless her daughter with gifts and make her, like, live. And so she is given these powers by um, these goddesses, and they allow her a vast array of superpowers that don't often get brought up in canon. Uh, she can talk to animals. That's never brought up much, but I've always liked that. I think it's really cool. Um, and she is wholly made by women. There is no male involvement, not even in a magic power sense. Not a single man is involved in the conception of Diana. It was pretty radical when it was created, and now it's still pretty radical to have this concept of a woman who was created solely through mm -hmm. the involvement of other women. And I feel like when Wonder Woman, the film has Zeus be the one that gives the um, blessing to Diana and makes her alive. I'm glad they let her be made from clay instead of the product of like a love affair or rape or whatever. But it is very frustrating to me that we didn't go that final mile and have these six goddesses band together and give Diana their powers so that she at some point could destroy Ares. It reframed it from being, here's a bunch of women banding together against this awful man and making a woman powerful enough to beat him without any male involvement. And more like Zeus and Ares were having a father and son quarrel. So he gave power to his sister so that his sister could later kick his ass in a fight. And like, it's still really good. I still appreciate that they didn't have it be like a, like a sex thing and could just have Hippolyta make this and have her involvement mm -hmm. be what matters. But it does kind of suck that we couldn't go that extra mile because everything else about the film was phenomenal, but that would have been so, so good. This film, it was, it was really good. It, it just, it hit everywhere it could have gone wrong. It didn't. Yes, I was bracing myself for some sort of transphobic you know, stuff in that general scene. Anything transphobic like that didn't happen. Um, Etta was not at all jealous of Diana. She literally meets Diana and it's like, hey, me, gay, hello. It was so hello. cute. Gently pushing Steve away by the face. Out, out of here. Thank you for hello. bringing this beautiful woman to me. That will be all. You can leave. Um, the historical accuracy of uh, Native American involvement in World War One was a really nice touch. Um, the, I, there's no scene where Steve has to defend Diana's honor against another man. There's no scene where Steve has to defend Diana's so honor against another man. There is a scene where Chief mentions to Diana that white people took over the Americas. Mm -hmm. And Steve is asleep. And it's actually better that way because then Steve does not get to defend himself or apologize. It is simply a statement of fact. And, and Diana acknowledges it and says, okay, that sounds about right. Yes. And says, and so it is an example in the film. There are so many that just Diana is constantly learning that people are always trying to 
kill other people, that conquest is just such an overwhelming part of this world and a really negative and damaging part of it. And it's never even defended. Sort of, it's never even defended. It's basically when the final scenes when Steve and Diana are together, when he has to tell her that, yes, people are bad, this isn't Aries. He basically explains to her people are bad and people do bad things, but there are also people that don't. It was just so, you know, when he's like, yes, we are bad, but it's not about if they deserve you. It's about what you believe in was the line. Yeah, no, and it was a good line. I mean, I I think it is something that is important that it's it's. I've seen people being like, oh, this is what Man of Steel should have been, and I won't get into that. But I do think it's very important that this is, I think the reason this resonates more than Man of Steel's similar arc is that we need to see Diana go through this. We don't have a lot of instances where a naive woman Mm -hmm. about matters of war, not necessarily other things, can learn and grow and develop. We don't have a lot of coming of age narratives, and this is in some ways a coming of age narrative, where a woman gets to have that experience. It is largely a male genre. So what might seem tired and trite in a male-led film is amazing and groundbreaking in a a film about Wonder Woman because it's just never been done on this scale before. Um, I think what is also very important to me about the way that certain things are framed is there is a sequence near the middle of the film where... Diana walks past a bunch of men who are all soldiers and they are in horrible agony. Like World War One was a much better choice than World War Two because I think historical hindsight has allowed us to kind of see World War One in a futility of man and the way that people are just terrible and awful. But there is pretty much unanimous consensus at this point that World War One was a clusterfuck. Mm-hmm. And so to have her going through that and she's walking through all these male soldiers who are suffering in horrible agony. And I won't discount that because these were most these people did not deserve to suffer like that. No human being should ever have to suffer like that. I'm not saying that, you know, like, oh, fuck them. But she walks past them and she's horrified like any person would be. But when Steve says we have to go, we can't help them. She believes him and she continues on. And I thought, oh, no, they're not going to have her stop and save some people. And then she gets to the front lines and she's in the trenches and a woman holding her child, which was very like structured and set. I think the woman was even wearing blue. It was very much yeah. like a supposed to be the Virgin Mary and, and Jesus. Like, it, I yeah. mean, you're I'm Catholic. She, so I, she, she had a head covering. She was very clearly like a holy figure. Yeah, like, she was supposed to be like Mary or something like that. And she begs Diana for her help. And she says they are taking these people as slaves. They are taking women and children. And when Steve says, we can't help her, we have to go, Diana says, absolutely not. And thus creates the greatest moment in cinematic history, which is Diana crossing no man's land. It was so... I mean, I was crying. I cried the whole time, like actual big... Like, just, just just pouring down my face. Because not only was it an incredible scene, but it felt so good to have a superhero that does not care about the suffering of men as much as she cares about the suffering of women and children. She grieves for these men, but she understands that they are kind of caught up in this war. And, like, you also made choices. You and your countries made choices. Men themselves made choices that got them into World War One. Not these men, but men as a whole. 
But when women and children who are being hurt by this war that was started by men beg for her help, she says, yes, I will help you. And she does. And it is amazing. It was cathartic. Like on a, on like, I, it felt like, it was literally felt like going to church. I'm just sitting there and I'm crying and I'm um, like, oh my God. Or because both Gal and I are Jewish, it felt like just one of those real, real good, good Temple Fridays. Thank you. Yeah. I didn't, it's on Fridays? Yes. You guys have Temple on Fridays? Well, yeah, see, that's why it's so, because that's why we have Saturday and Sunday off, because the Sabbath is from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, and then Sunday is your thing. Okay. That's fresh as hell. Yes, it's, thank you. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. Gal is also Jewish, but it felt. I mean, like I don't want to keep. Like I don't want to directly keep. I'm not Zack Snyder. I don't want to cram religious and symbolism into all of my films. But it's very hard to describe how transformative this series was. This this movie was without comparing it to something similar because I I don't really have the words for how emotional I got over this film and how important it was to see Diana just walking across like this is another reason why World War II is an excellent setting because World War One this is another reason why World War One was an excellent setting because we characterize World War One as we sat in trenches and we gained a couple inches in the years that we fought this thing and to have Diana just say, nope, I'll be having none of that, thank you, and just casually striding across something that historically we couldn't maybe move forward by more than a few inches was so good that she well, just did it so they effortlessly. had the amazing scene where Steve goes, that's no man's land. Mm-hmm. It's called that because no man can cross it. And she doesn't even need to say it because we are all... Like, hearing it in our heads. We already know. You can hear, but I am no man. Uh You can hear, all men must die, but we are not men. You can hear it. It is the culmination. She doesn't even need to say it. She just needs to be Diana. And we feel it as an audience. And we, you're absolutely right. And we feel it. And God, did I feel so much during this movie. So much emotion. There were a couple of other very big, emotionally evocative scenes. Um... There was a good one, and this is one of my favorite subtle moments in the film, is when she, there's a sniper in the bell tower mm-hmm. after they cross no man's land and get into the village um, mm-hmm. where the women and children are being held, and they're fighting, and there's a sniper, and Steve gets the idea, and he goes, Diana, shield, mm-hmm. and he, by doing this, demonstrates doing something that he'd learned from the Amazons, and watching the Amazons in combat, performing a similar move where one of them does that really cool anime thing of, like, jumping off the other person's shield and, like, mm-hmm. you know, going and punching a sniper because they're not specialized in melee, and... It was so good to have Steve learn from women and to not make a big show of it. Like, you guys really taught me something. He just says, oh, that was smart. I'm going to take that and copy that. And doesn't think, I'm so great. I'm a tactical genius for doing it. He just does it. And he just learns from women. And it was subtle and it was awesome. It was so good. Well, it wasn't. The scene itself was not subtle. What was subtle was Steve learning, learning this from to, yeah. women and not making a thing punching, out of it. Punching through a bell tower is not a subtle scene. But Steve just learning oh, from God. women is so and like, good. And like... I did, I did, I did watch the bell tower crumble and I went, that is, that was, that was his, that was historic. Okay. That's over. It's fine. Here's the thing about me and Wonder Woman, the movie is at the end of the movie, you know, Steve says to her, I save today, you save the world. And that is sort of what we have to take from this because a lot of it hurt so much. Like the town that she saves gets gassed Mm -hmm. and then Steve 
dies. And I was not expecting, I mean, I thought he was going to grow old and that she was going to have to go on without him, but he straight up dies. I think it was better that he died if only because I guarantee you some ass bag in like a Captain America shirt and a Punisher hoodie would have been like, well, they just did that in the Winter Soldier, so who cares? And then I would have had to turn around and punch them. So I understand why they didn't do it so they wouldn't get those comparisons made, but it still really hurt. You know, and I do understand what the significance of it was because it also, Steve dying sort of reminds us, you know, they say you can't save everyone you can't, and that's something she doesn't believe, mm-hmm. and then he proves it to her, but saves so many people in the process, but she can't save everyone, mm-hmm. and Steve was the one there, and it was just so upsetting, because, you know, he clearly knew that she's going to be the greatest hero this world has ever seen, and that she is just legendary, and that she is going to be just the great. She's going to be a God. She is one. No, I'm going to die for your narrative. And that's good. It's sad that Steve died, but you very, very, very rarely, if ever get men dying to further a woman's narrative. So it was sad, but it was so good to have him be like, no, I'll take one for the team. And Steve's friends, their little ragtag group, like Diana in a way saved them. From, like, their demons and their Mm -hmm. depression and their... And it was just so much emotion all at once. I have to be... Because we do have to try to keep this slightly critical. And there is something I want to examine. Um, Another disclaimer, again, Mm -hmm. white. But there is a sequence where... And this has been been done a few more times in the modern Mm -hmm. era. This very postmodern, self-aware sort of conceit about race relations in society where you will have the scene where a non-white character will be like, oh, I'm going to do this thing and play up to these stereotypes because I know that I can manipulate dumb white people by acting like these stereotypes. And that happens in this film. And it is a fair thing to do. I'm not complaining that like, oh, white people wouldn't be manipulated. Like, yes, absolutely. My bigger issue is that those scenes happen. They have happened before we never really get to see the aftermath of that person being upset about what they had to do and the very stereotypical nasty way they had to behave that must be so emotionally draining and uncomfortable for them and the effect that might have on them. And that's upsetting. Like I wish that they had had a moment where Sammy was like, that was, I feel like garbage now. I need a minute. Like just some sort of acknowledgement of the emotional reaction that, that elicits because it's not the same thing because it's not a race issue, but there have absolutely been times where I have had to sort of swallow my sexuality or my gender and just kind of be a certain way and pretend to be a certain person or on the flip side, kind of field stereotypical, uncomfortable questions about my gender or um, my sexuality in a way that I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess I'll be like that, like funny gay friend for you guys for a little bit. It's whatever. And it hurts. And I can't even imagine what that must be like for someone to have to do that in 1912-ish. What year was it, the movie? Yeah, 19... It was the end of the war. I don't so. remember dates. Oh my goodness, I believe World War One ended in 1918. I do too, but I don't remember, I don't know if this was... Hold on. So it would have been about 1918, okay. 
Um, and to have... Was he French-Algerian? He was Moroccan. Moroccan, thank you. To have a Moroccan man have to do that in 1918, to have, a, to have to have a Moroccan man do that now, I can't even imagine what that must feel like, but I do wish we had gotten to see that pain from his perspective because I'm pretty sure he can imagine what it feels like and has dealt with that. And they even went the extra mile of saying that Sammy wanted to be an actor in mm-hmm. a film. Like, it was self-aware, but didn't take that final step of letting us see how that affected him emotionally. And that's not fair. Yeah. He deserved that moment of catharsis. God, what else? Is there anything I want to end... I do want to end on a positive note, though, yeah. and I want to talk about the film's greatest symbol, and that is the jump. And... It is something that I connected immediately in my head, and I think a lot of other people might connect in their heads too, to Thelma and Louise. And uh, spoilers, but if you don't know the end of Thelma and Louise at this point, I don't think I can help you. So at the end of Thelma and Louise, Thelma and Louise kiss and then drive off a, cl- a cliff. They were the in love? They kissed at the end of the film. Oh my There's god. There's one, she's like, are you gonna do this with me, really? And they never say, we're gonna die together, but, like, they know. They and were they, actually gay. They hold hands and they do kiss. And they drive off into the cliff, and the film does not end with them hitting the cliff, or hitting the bottom of the Grand Canyon, and exploding into flames. It ends with them jumping off, and the car hanging, suspended in midair, as the credits roll. And that is so good because that says even though you know in your rational heart that gravity is a thing you want to believe with all of your might that Thelma and Louise make it across the canyon and even if they physically cannot it doesn't matter because symbolically they have achieved absolute and total freedom and to have those same kind of jumps those big leaps of faith in Wonder Woman was so good and so focused on this idea of Diana making that leap of faith of being truly free and it was it was amazing everything about it was amazing the fact and I know it was deliberate in some way because they chose to make it the final shot of the film so there was definitely someone thinking along those lines in that the her writing and editing leaping scene. and always going forward not just going forward but being free yeah we end we don't end with Diana landing on the ground hard and doing a badass pose we land we end the film on her jumping forward and hanging suspended in midair as the credits roll and to have her have that kind of freedom and to be going forward in that way is so good because it means the role of women in superhero films does not end with this movie it is going forward from this movie and this is a really really great jumping off point if you will forgive the pun yep i will forgive the pun thank you oh god there was just so much that was good about this film and like i know that they're setting up bruce and diana to be romantic Uh, and like now even yeah one it's never been my favorite period and two now knowing just like everything she had with steve and what steve meant to her and all of this and also that ben affleck is so much older i'm like please don't do this that i'm like well you know me in fact ben affleck is so much older is the one saving grace this thing has in my eyes it's just creepy because we know from a film perspective we have that forever where the guy in question is 80 billion years old and the woman he's dating you hear that ben you're old (laughs) you're old ben and you don't even you're old and i know it was you that tried to fight my mom in that buffalo wild wings (laughs) over deflate gate 
I know that was you, Ben. <laughs> I know that was you, Ben. Listen, listen. They don't even try to not make him look old, though. Like, he should be looking hotter and sexier and younger. He should have to get Botox, too. Come on, Ben. All right. Uh, what we've taken from Wonder Woman is, ben that, is that Ben Affleck needs to fucking fix himself. He does. That's the one takeaway from this movie. Clean yourself up, you Yankee fuck. But Don't call him a... Yankee, that's a, that's a term for New Englanders. Yeah, which is hilarious because of the Yankees, I know. But yeah, listen, the other thing, and this is just something I want to say about the Justice League trailer, my number one favorite thing in the world is that apparently Arthur has been around saving people from shipwrecks for a very long time, and nobody believes anyone that there's a guy living in the ocean with his very hot bisexual wife because it's a bunch of drunken sailors, so if he just saves a dude and, and has a beer... No one's going to believe the fisherman who's like, yeah, this guy and his hot wife dragged me out of the ocean. It was weird. And yeah, I love that. Because you know what? I've, I've been to Gloucester, Massachusetts. I go to, I go to Gloucester, Massachusetts. And, and if you were... If you said that if to you someone... Were there, if, Aquaman, if that Aquaman was to just come in and drop a fisherman on the table and order a beer, everyone would just be like, go socks. Yep, go socks. But When um, I say everyone, I mean Ben Affleck. <laughs> but it was... It was this was such a good... It's so nice to watch and enjoy a film that is good, which could have done some things better, but in doing so, it doesn't... I don't mean they could have done some things better that there was nothing good about the film yeah. or that the things that they could have done better weren't already done pretty well or at least in a way that was not super offensive and cringeworthy. Mm-hmm. And that makes me so happy, and I am so happy that this is the bar that we are setting and for female superhero films because um, it is so good that now we have this film that is a rousing success that will inspire people to put a little more faith in these stories because I think it gains something. As much as there was a little bit of like hubbub over whether Patty Jenkins was a risk or not, which makes no fucking sense because the last time she directed a film, uh, Charlize Theron won an Oscar for it, but... It is very good to have had a female director for this film, not for, like, PC culture points, but because I want you to imagine with me for a second that Joss Whedon had directed this film. And mm. if he had, oh, I guarantee you... I just... Oh, I my kidney just Number one, in my Steve, own body. <laughs> Steve Trevor would have just been Xander 2.0. Um, Don't ever say those words to me again about sweet angel baby Jesus Steve Trevor. How I, dare I you? And listen, listen. Chris Pine actually died. I <laughs> killed Chris Pine. I'm Every sorry. interview you've seen has been has been retro. Has been retro. It's not live. Listen, listen. Did you? You thought you saw him on the red carpet? You didn't. It was his force ghost. Chris Pine is actually dead because he knew he had to die for this movie to be perfect, and we thank him for his sacrifice. Jesus Christ. Okay, so Chris Pine is not dead, but um, that I know of. However, what I know, I know what I just said was bad, but tr- not just that Steve Trevor would have been Xander, not just that there would have been one of those scenes I just I mentioned way back where like Steve would have had to profusely apologize on behalf of the whole male race. And Diana would have to kind of stand there and smile and go, no, that's fine. It's OK. You guys can't help it. And then later there would have been a scene where Steve defends Diana's honor from a bunch of like male chauvinist pigs in a bar or something like that. Um, and then there probably would have been a scene where Diana has to sigh and go, ah, men are so annoying. Such hard work, huh? You guys sure are a pain. It's a good thing that I, Wonder Woman, am here to clean up after your messes. And there would have been this self-aware, 
self-conscious, reflexive, apologetic nature to the film if a man had directed it. No question. And by having a woman direct it, we don't have any of that. We just have Diana getting to be. And one of the things I have always thought is a very important goal of feminism is the struggle for a woman's right to just be. To not have to be an object for people to stare at, to not have to be something that people can use and abuse and kind of dissect and and use to find themselves or whatever you can think of. They just get to be. And in this film, Diana, through the virtue of having a female director removing the male gaze almost entirely from the film, Diana just gets to be. And it is so, so good. It was so good. And I hope to see just spin-off Amazon movies. You know, there's an Artemis. I would love to see um, just spin-off movies where we do get a starring non-white Amazon. That would be sick. And she gets to go to Man's World and be a hero in, like, the modern times, and that's fun, and it's in the same vein as that. Well, you could have Cassie Sandsmark. You could have Cassie Sandsmark played by a black woman. We've done it. I fixed it. Yeah, because then you just have a younger Amazon... And there you go, you have Wonder Girl. Um, because I would love a Teen Titans movie, so we could just throw her on that. Yeah. So there we go, we solved it. Um, call us. Um, but it was just so good. And another thing that was so good, minor thing, but it was nice that Ares was one, played by Remus Lupin. Yes, and I cannot believe... Okay, so I kept calling him Arthur Darville. He does look like Arthur Darville's dad. Because Remus Lupin and Arthur Darville are, I think, the same person. Uh-huh. Um... God, why are we so... And, like, you're listening to a Wonder Woman podcast, and you're <laughs> like, like, and you're like they're not, they're not going to make fun of Arthur Darville this time, because this is a Wonder Woman podcast. No, he's still and, here. And we, and we hit you with the, no, I'm, I'm always making fun of I'm Arthur. always. He's, it, it's not his fault. If he didn't want us to make fun of him, he wouldn't either shave all of his facial hair or only keep the serial killer mustache bits. Listen, it was so good. Because I was literally sitting there and I'm like, who is this actor? I know him. Because I feel like I always vaguely know all British actors from the amount of garbage I've consumed off the BBC. But to have it have been, like, not only this very quiet, skinny, unassuming British guy, but this actor who got famous for, well, maybe not, but, like, the people our age who are watching this film are going to know him as Remus Lupin, who was by no means what anyone would consider really a god of war type. So to have him be that... And to have Diana still kick the shit out of him, awesome. Also that Diana killed the other guy. The guy who I just kept calling Ray Romano because I couldn't remember <laughs> his actor's name, but it, I wanted to say it was like, there was a Ray in there somewhere and I couldn't remember from where. Yeah, you're almost positively... The fact that she killed him, <laughs> but that she was still in the right to kill him. Yeah, because that he was still, still a warmongering... Still a horrible warmongering monster. Uh-huh. He might not have been Ares per se, but he... There is no... You know, well, it also puts the feet at the blame of like it puts yeah. the blame at humanity's feet, yeah. which is good because we had already been told that, and that was kind of the whole point that Ares wasn't really actually directly involved. Mm-hmm. So to have her kill this guy was so good because like it still puts the blame at the feet of the people it really should be put at. Yep. Um, oh god, we have to talk about Doctor Poison. I can't believe we forgot to. Yes. Um, briefly, and we'll. I will yes. say we have a friend who um, is super brilliant and in a PhD program. And she studies a literature of medicine and the literature surrounding medicine. So as soon as I left, I asked her how accurate was Dr. Poison's facial prosthetic because it looked pretty cool. But 
you know, Hollywood likes to do that thing where it's not like super historically accurate. And she said, relatively so. However, most of the kind of masks that were made to cover that kind of facial deformity actually started at like the nose and covered the entire jaw, whether the entire jaw had been affected Mm -hmm. and were hung from glasses that were attached to the mask or just kind of like attached by hooks to the ears. I was just, I wanted to just discuss Dr. Poison and... God, what was the male villain's name? We're just gonna—I don't want to keep calling him Ray Romano, but all we can do is call him Doctor Doctor Hair Bad Guy. Hair Bad Guy. (laughs) Um. Um. That they were actually, you know, it was another one of those things where, like, she was like a villain, and he was like, it wasn't like this Joker Harley, like he hits her around and tells her to make poisons and shit she's like i made this thing and it's gonna kill everyone and he's like that is so cool uh-huh and like they were on equal footing together they yeah. were evil together i did not love that her prosthetics blew off during um diana's rage because to me i think prosthetics are something that are very personal and very sensitive and i didn't really like that and, like, I understand... That you she's know, Captain Bad Guy, but on another level, like, like yeah. On a cinematic yeah. standpoint, they wanted to show us that she has been mutilated by war and by her own cruelty and stuff. But I'm also like, yeah, but that's still a prosthetic and that's still a thing actual people have and you can't just go blowing off prosthetics yeah. in the wind. Like, you can't. let's not do that. I also think it probably would have been attacked better than that, but that's hardly the point. But, yeah, it was one of those things that... um it was it's complicated because like i do not have a disability that requires a prosthetic but um i if i had a hearing aid and someone came up and ripped off my hearing aid i would be like listen what the fuck but that would require me to be able to afford a hearing aid because they're not covered on most insurance plans so uh call your senators and tell them to keep the uh affordable health care act in play uh that's your local political statement of the day but my point is it was not the best part of that scene because of that whole disability reveal being kind of like a thing that cinema loves to do um that i understand as a film enthusiast why it is the way it is and why it like what it means symbolically but on a societal level it's really shitty to kind of have this idea that i am going to humiliate you and make you vulnerable and subject to pity and scorn by ripping off your prosthetic However, we have addressed that, so let's address what I did like about the scene, which was the fact that Ares is trying to pit a woman against another woman, and Diana recognizes and accepts that while this woman is horrible, and we can, we don't really know if she was, if her face was damaged in a gas attack that was not of her own making, or if she fucked up and did that to herself, but... Diana says this is a woman who has done something unforgivable and horrible and I do not have the right to pass judgment on her because I am not going to be that person because it's not the time and it's not the place and she knows she's being manipulated into doing it by Aries. Like no matter what sins Dr. Poison has to answer for, she doesn't need to answer for them right here when a man is trying to pit another woman against Diana and that is so good on like a, oh, we're going to shut that whole like women being manipulated by men into doing something bad shit down. Like Ray Romano, uh, hair bad guy, never did anything that really forced Dr. Poison to do 
bad stuff. She just said, I am going to do it. And he was kind of just there to be like a military presence and a more hawkish war presence. Like he was not as relevant to the plot as she was. Um, so that was good. But I did like that at the last minute, they had a moment where Diana, the Diana's great choice at the very, very end is, do you want to let a man, man manipulate, manipulate you against a woman who might deserve it, does deserve it, but is this the time and place and is your reasons for doing so right now really fair and just? And Diana says, I want to be fair and just and there's a better way to solve this. And that is, I think, a very big part of Wonder Woman. Like Patty Jenkins said uh, something that I really like and I really think is fascinating about Diana and her interpretation of Diana where she says, I think Wonder Woman is a hero who is not afraid to kill but she will not kill unless all other options have been exhausted. And because she is a hero of peace, who knows when the time for peace needs to be over. And I love that because I love that Diana is willing to kill because she is a soldier and she is a warrior and she's an Amazon, but that she will not really kill unless all other options have been exhausted first. And that is very pragmatic and that is very realistic, and that is a far cry from the Diana we see at the beginning of the film, who's a little more like, yeah, I want to go fight in war because it'll make me cool and tough. And that is so, so wonderful to see her grow and develop like that. Yeah, and I think that excellent movie, amazing movie, will... I, I want to say I'm going to see it again, but I don't really like I want to go movies. see it. I want to go see it with my grandmother because I feel like she'd get a kick out of it. And like knowing how good this is, I feel like this is going to make my grandma super happy to watch. So. I might go see it with my dad, but like we have to go see it when nobody else is there. Because my, oh God, my dad and I are those people that like talk to each other during the movie because we think we're fucking hilarious. You are funny. But speaking so. of you going to see it with your dad, there's one last thing I want to talk about. And it is one scene where we were not lucky enough to go to see an all-female screening of Wonder Woman because that would be fucking sick. But there were men in the audience of our screening of Wonder Woman. And there's a scene after the parliamentary scene we discussed way back where Diana basically corners Steve out in like a public venue, like a hallway in this big government office. And she basically says, what the hell was that back there? You fake piece of shit. I cannot believe that you would fuck me like this. Although obviously she does not say it like that. 20 years I've known you (laughs) and you don't want to see me jump out of the cake. Like she doesn't do it like that, but she yells at him. She gets in his face. She's like, how dare you not back me up? How dare you not do the right and honorable thing out there? These people are going to let innocents suffer and like all this good heroic speech stuff. And she's yelling. She is screaming. She is making her press. She is so mad at him. She is so angry. And the reaction of a lot of people, I can't say all men, but I know that the men I could hear near me and around me laughed. Like they laughed when Steve is getting yelled at by Diana and she is so angry. And I can't say that I don't know these people. I'm not in these people's heads. I can't say whether that anger was that laughter at her response to her anger was like being uncomfortable or genuinely finding it funny, like, aw, she's so funny when she's angry, isn't that cute? But I think it's very interesting that most of the people I could hear laughing sounded male, and that that was their response to one of the plainest and most visible expressions of female anger on screen that I've seen in a while that was being treated as the right thing to do. They might have laughed, but the narrative wasn't laughing. They were like, yeah, Diana should be yelling at him. How could he do that? There are innocent people who could be helped by doing this. And that is so telling 
that this is how we treat a really big, genuine, honest moment of a woman being angry, and then a lot of men's response is to laugh at it. And I have talked a lot about how transformative and powerful anger can be in the hands of the righteous, and Diana is very much that. So to have an angry hero who is full of anger and willing to kill, but also just and righteous and good and not willing to kill indiscriminately is so amazing. It was such a good scene and it was so telling to me that men's response to it was to find it funny or uncomfortable. That was very telling. I don't even want to rate this movie on like a on like a number scale because I feel like that's really trite because yeah, we, it's not about we, that. Like and we've it, never like rated things before. No. I want to say that I mean, I don't really tend to like rating scales in general, but it is hard to rate this movie objectively because of what it meant emotionally. I cried like three times and I was a sobbing wreck at the end of the film. Rachel was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just really, really, really happy. And like, that means it's hard for me to say like, oh, this film was good on this and that. Like, yes, cinematically, the, the color grading was excellent. I'm so used to superhero films that look like garbage. Um, the color grading was excellent. The editing was great. The directing was wonderful. The way that the, like that everything about it was good on like a technical film level. But that is all outclassed by the emotional reaction I had to seeing this film and how important and good and wonderful it was to get to see a Wonder Woman movie. I could not be happier that this was the Wonder Woman movie we got after a very long wait. We all deserve this. We deserve this. We do. We even even you, Chris Pine, who died. You know, no, I'm sorry. Chris Pine, who died a hero for... <laughs> we all deserved this movie. I'm happy this is the Wonder Woman movie we got. Mm-hmm. And I am so happy we never got a Joss Whedon Wonder Woman. We, I saw him, I saw him tweet that he saw it, it and that it was amazing. He said, his tweet said, I saw it by myself recently. So there already was an all male screening of Wonder Woman. Stop complaining. <laughs> also, the movie was great. And I'm like, uh, show me on the doll where I fucking asked for your opinion, Joss Whedon. <laughs> Jesus. But it was, it was so good. Uh, we dodged, we, we dodged a lot of bullets to get the film we got, which I think is appropriate given what Wonder Woman's gauntlets can do. But God, this was such a good movie and there's going to be a sequel. We did it. I'm so happy. It's going to be great. If you haven't seen it, please go see it. It's just a good movie. Just go enjoy a good movie. You know, the other thing is that the le- we did, okay, one one tiny joke before we end. The legends were also in World <laughs> War One twice. And I was like, at some point, I just imagined that like they're in the trenches and Diana just goes speeding by them and they're like, what the fuck? Fuck and Riff is like no, that's above that's, that's above our pay grade. That is absolutely that above is, our pay grade. That is not us. That is not on us. We, we are, are not even allowed to say what that was. We are not allowed to acknowledge it legally. Anyway, somebody used the sphere of destiny to I don't know fucking turn this place into a water park. Sure, whatever. No man's water park. Um, <laughs> and, your- and there was much rejoicing. Go see Wonder Woman. Go love it. Enjoy Wonder Woman. Cosplay Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, blah, 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 blah. trans women are welcome on the island of Themyscira. Themyscira is a place where people who need to be safe from men for whatever, because of their gender, should be safe from men. So this includes trans women and this includes anyone who feels because of their gender that they have been threatened by men and that is very important for us to emphasize. And actually speaking of all of this Wonder Woman stuff, you know what else this film did that I think is important? Is it mo- removed 
I think sometimes we can kind of feel distant from Wonder Woman as an icon because she is so... There's a Kate Beaton comic where yeah. she's talking. She meets. She's talking to a girl in the comic, and she like the girl goes, "Oh my God, you're Wonder Woman. I love Wonder Woman." Diana goes, oh, "Yeah, well, what do you really like about me?" And she goes, "You're just so amazing, you know, so iconic." And Diana just goes, "Jesus Christ!" And admittedly, Kate Beaton's Wonder Woman comics have always had this like <laughs> asshole. Of- <laughs> I hate everyone. Yeah, they've always been a little like meaner and more biting than like Ken and Diana. But that one is very, I think, a lot of people's relationship with modern Wonder Woman because it's very hard for writers to kind of pin her down aside from a few good ones because she does seem so distant and untouchable in a way that we don't tend untouchable in a way that we tend to not like our female superheroes to be but this was a film that kept her powerful kept her strong kept her all of her good and wonderful qualities intact while still making her someone that I can enjoy as a character on their own merits and not just on the basis of their iconography, which has always, I think, created a certain level of distance between Diana and not everyone, but there is sometimes, I think, this distance that comes from her being so very Wonder Woman. But she would kick was, everyone's ass. Yeah, but this was so truly good and I think really made her into her like a wholly recognizable fleshed out character with a narrative arc and just a full story that made me really love her on her own merits in a way that I genuinely hadn't before Mm -hmm. as much as she was important to me. It was so good to get to see her in her own story. And we really haven't gotten to do that for a while in this way. Um, And I love that. I'm grateful for having that opportunity with this film. Okay. And just to round this out you can start looking now that we've done our summer film review you can start looking for retrospectives coming in the next week or two and we look forward to sharing our first series retrospective with you guys we're hoping it's even if you haven't seen the show that we'll be talking about that you will enjoy our take on it and not mind too much that we spoil pretty much the entire series we hope that we will spoil it in a way that makes you go oh that sounds really interesting still i'm gonna watch it yep that's the plan that's the goal so, if you're not seeing Wonder Woman right this exact second, go go see it. See it again. Bring your friends. Go to an all-women's showing if you can. I'm very envious. I'm so jealous. And have a good time. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening.